This morning our reading comes from Mark chapter 15, Mark 15 verses 33 through 34. Mark 15, 33, 34. You may find it on page 1583 in the Pew Bibles. 1583, Mark 15, 33, 34. At the sixth hour, that is noon, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, that is three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is word of the Lord. Superhero movies, they have been around for a long, long time. But their popularity and box office success really took off in the early 2000s at the turn of the centuries. And leading the charge were movies like The First X-Men in 2000 and Spider-Man, with, not with the new guy, I forget his name, but with Tobey Maguire, the original Spider-Man in 2002. Now it seems like every month there is a new superhero movie coming out. And, and these superheroes got so diverse over the years, right? We have female superheroes, we have an ant superhero, we have a wasp superhero, we have a black superhero, and finally, last year, we, ha- we got an Asian superhero named Shang-Chi. I have some thoughts on him, you know, but this is not the place or the time. You may remember when these movies were becoming a dominant force in Hollywood, many pastors began using these movies as sermon illustrations and reference points, right? To make their sermons more engaging for our younger generations and to make them more relevant in our contemporary culture. Sermon titles like Our Marvelous Savior or, you know, The Armor of God, The Lessons from Iron Man. Or saying things like, my true hero, my real superhero is Jesus Christ. These things, believe it or not, became trendy and popular and they were prevalent for a while. And I highly doubt that you know any of this because I, <laughs> I cannot see Peter do any of this, right, in his sermon. <laughs> As finite creatures, Human beings naturally gravitate towards something or someone almighty and limitless, much like superheroes. So we can understand why some Christians would want to promote the idea of superhero Jesus Christ, especially when they read about all these miracles in the Bible, right? Turning water into wine, healing the sick, etc., etc. And it is true that as the divine Son of God, He is almighty and limitless. And we should take comfort in the fact that he is fully divine. However, it is also important for us to remember that he is also fully human. He is just like us in every single way except for the fact that he is sinless. He experienced human emotions like us. He wept like us. He got hungry, tired, and hurt like us. And as we read this morning, he even suffered like us 
the Bible presents Jesus as both fully human and fully divine without emphasizing one nature over the other or at the cost of the other. However, some Christians are often too eager to rush through or to downplay the humanity of Jesus Christ so that they can focus on the divinity of Jesus Christ, so that they can highlight Jesus, the superhero. They want to talk about the victory over sin and death. And, and we should get there, of course. We should get to the victory over sin and death. And we will get there. But it's important that we take time and we give our attention and time to this humanity of Jesus Christ as well because he is fully human. In the season of Lent, especially as we prepare ourselves for Good Friday and Passion Week and Easter, it's important to take time to reflect on the fact that Jesus was fully human, finite and mortal. After all, it was in Jesus' suffering and death that the Roman soldier confessed and said, surely this man was the Son of God. Only by recognizing his humanity, we come to appreciate his grace on the cross. In this season of Lent, we've been studying the last seven words of Jesus, and by the last seven words, we mean phrases and sayings. And one that we are studying today, one that we are focusing on today, is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Matthew also has the same saying in his gospel, but I chose Mark's version of the saying because of its personal touch. Matthew's gospel quotes Jesus in Hebrew. It's not Eloi, it's Eli. But Mark uses Aramaic, the common language of Palestine in the first century AD, the language that Jesus spoke. Because of this Aramaic language, Jesus' cry for mercy in Mark is more personal. It's less like the Son of God quoting and fulfilling Scripture and more like the Son of Man using Psalm 22 to lament and plead with God. So we come to Mark 15, 33, 34. Eloi, Eloi, lama Mark has already told us earlier in the chapter that Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. in the morning. In verse 33, it's now noon. He's been hanging there for three hours. While Mark doesn't tell us all the details about what occurred during those three hours, if you remember last week when Peter preached, we learned that during these initial three hours, Jesus, Jesus was interacting with these two criminals who were also being crucified it was a great sermon. I'm sure you agree with it. But the one thing that truly stood out to me was the notion that being in paradise, being in heaven, is simply being with Jesus. Being in God's presence. The irony, of course, in our passage, is that right after Jesus talking to these criminals about being in paradise, being in God's presence, he experiences the most terrible form of abandonment. Jesus is completely forsaken by God. 
his heavenly Father. Verse 33 says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land. Darkness here alludes to the Old Testament idea of God's judgment on the day of the Lord and how the unrighteous people on that day would be utterly and completely rejected, forsaken, and abandoned by God. We want to hear more about this, but Mark just fast-forwards to 3 p.m. in the afternoon, as if nothing happened during these hours, but this darkness filling the entire atmosphere. The criminals are silent, the bystanders are silent, and more importantly, God is silent, emphasizing the depth of this darkness that Jesus was experiencing. So Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was experiencing physical suffering from his crucifixion, of course. He was also experiencing social humiliation because these people were hurling insults at him. However, his anguished cry was not necessarily about the crown of thorns or the nails or the flogging or the insults. This stark expression of agony was about this darkness that he was experiencing. Utter and complete rejection and abandonment by God. And we must resist the temptation to gloss over this deep agony of Jesus. We should never just rush to the victory or his resurrection without first acknowledging the deep agony that Jesus was feeling on the cross, we will miss the significance of his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter. We all know this fact. This darkness, this abandonment, rejection, they were meant for us. Paul, John, Peter all wrote in numerous places in the New Testament that Jesus took on himself, took upon himself the punishment that we deserved for our sins. A well-known Christian song puts it this way, it was my sin that held him there. The last word of Jesus Christ was supposed to be the last word that we would utter. That means understanding the depth of his agony on the cross is the first step of appreciating the depth of his grace. The difficulty, of course, is that we will never fully comprehend the magnitude of such terrible abandonment. But we know what abandonment feels like, although admittedly not to the degree that Jesus felt. We know what abandonment feels like. As I was preparing this sermon, I thought a lot about the times that I felt abandoned, my own experience of feeling abandoned. When I was five, my, my family had just moved to Korea from Israel. And I, at that time, I did not speak Korean at all. Um, because we just moved, my mom needed to buy more things, like, right? So my mom took me to this department store in Korea. I love exploring. I always have. So imagine this five-year-old young Kwang in this brand-new environment, right? Department store with these Korean things that I've never seen before. 
My mom did her best to keep her eyes on me. But all I needed was this tiny window of opportunity. And when I found it, I was gone. And again, it has nothing to do with my mom, right, or her parenting skills. It had everything to do with my unearned, unwarranted, childish boldness. When I was done exploring, though, I realized that I could not find my mother in this 11-story department store. And suddenly I had this sinking feeling of abandonment. I didn't know what to do, so I did the very human thing that all of us would do in that situation. I cried for help. I said, Ima, Ima! Which means in Hebrew, mother, mother. Fortunately, my mother quickly found me through an announcement that she made at the info desk. She was looking for a non-Korean speaking Korean boy. (laughs) And I'm grateful for that. But even today, I, I still remember that sinking feeling, that dark feeling of being abandoned. Perhaps you've never experienced that same feeling in a crowded place like an 11-story department store. But I'm sure you have felt it in some form or another. Maybe it was the isolation of being alone during the COVID years. Maybe it's the, the, the rejection and the hurt that you felt when someone you cared rejected you. Or maybe it was watching your loved one pass away in a hospital bed. One way or the other, we know that feeling. We're we're far too familiar with that sinking, dark feeling. Now imagine bearing not just your own, but that of every single person in the universe. And that's the situation in which Jesus found himself. So at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. It was a lament. It was a plea for mercy. When Mark tells us that it was at three in the afternoon, it's likely that he's trying to tell us that it was time for a Jewish prayer called Mincha. Luke in Acts also tells us that at three in the afternoon, these disciples would often gather to pray because it was a Jewish custom that you pray in the afternoon. When Jesus was surrounded by this darkness, the darkness that represented the the utter and complete abandonment and rejection He did what human beings would do. In a prayer, he he called for the person dearest to him, his heavenly father. And he pleaded for mercy. And he did it in his mother tongue. Eloi, Eloi, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As human beings, we want to believe, we may want to believe in a superhero Jesus Christ, 
who can fix all things with his might and power, who could just get out of all situations with his might and power. We want, we want to see our, our Jesus Christ jumping off the cross with his spider webs or being part of a crew that just comes and rescues him. But the reality was that Jesus did not save himself. No one came to rescue him, not even his heavenly father. He was left to suffer all alone, surrounded only by this crushing darkness, and he remained there till his death. He was very human on that cross, the very opposite of a superhero, finite and mortal. Of course, it's important that we keep everything in its right context. And we must realize that he chose to be very human, just like us, for our sake. Jesus' humanity is not a sign of his weakness. It's not a mistake in God's salvific history. And it's not something that we can quickly rush through to get to his divinity and present him as a superhero. Jesus' humanity is central to the gospel. He chose to take on our suffering, and he chose to experience it in the way that human beings do, so that he could pay the human penalty for the human sins. Jesus was flogged, tortured, crucified. He had nails on his feet and hands, and he had to endure insults hurled at him. However, the ultimate punishment The true suffering on that cross was so much more than the physical pain or the humiliation. It was his father's utter and complete rejection. And siblings in Christ, that's what we deserved. And that's what we still deserve. If it weren't for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we would be right there on that cross on the day of the Lord, receiving our due penalty, the same utter and complete rejection by God. And since this penalty was for human sins, only a human being, mortal and finite, could pay for that penalty. It could not have been a superhero merely just enduring the pain until the requisite amount of suffering was reached. Nor could it have been a a divine being just merely appearing in a human form. No, it had to be a fully human being. And at three in the afternoon of his crucifixion, Jesus proved himself to be fully human by doing the very thing that all human beings would do. Something that we all would do when faced with such deep, dark agony of rejection and abandonment. He cried to God, his father, in his mother tongue, in Aramaic, and he pleaded for help, for mercy. Then he died. Jesus' human suffering, his human death, and his human cry on the cross proved to us that it was a fully human being 
paying the fully human penalty for human sins. And now that we have spent some time talking about his humanity, we can move on to his divinity and talk about his victory over sin and death. On Good Friday, the day of his crucifixion, he experienced immense agony, anguish, suffering, and even death. But as Tony Campalo once famously said, that was Friday, and Sunday was coming. On Sunday, he rose from the dead, defeating the power of sin and death once and for all. It is important that we stay true to how the Bible presents Jesus. Through these events of Good Friday and Easter, Jesus revealed himself in his word that he was the Messiah, that he was the Savior, and he was the Lord. He didn't just save the day, he saved the universe and all of us. Therefore, the cry of my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, serves as a reminder that those who believe in Jesus Christ do not have to suffer the same fate on the day of the Lord. And this table before us points to the same Jesus Christ, the same Messiah, the same Lord and Savior. The Lord's Supper is a powerful reminder that Jesus really sacrificed himself for us. The bread represents the body given for us, and the wine represents the blood shed for us. And through this meal, we are assured that Jesus really suffered and died for us, paying the human penalty for our human sins. And this table also tangibly reminds us that we are united with Christ. We are in him and he in us. And because of this union, as Peter reminded us last week, we can experience paradise right here, right now. But we all know that life doesn't always feel like paradise. It often feels like the very opposite. There is so much suffering, so much grieving and pain in our world and in our lives. But when we look at that anguished cry of Jesus on the cross, and when we look at the body and the blood of Jesus on this table, we are reminded of Jesus' full humanity. We're also reminded that he fully understands human suffering. He understands our pain. He understands our grief even the ones that we may, not be, we may not be familiar with, things like the utter, complete rejection by God. So Jesus' humanity at this table makes us more grateful, more grateful because we know that our Savior fully empathizes with us in our struggles, in our suffering, and in our pain. So it's fitting then, that this Lord's Supper is also called Eucharist, from the Greek word for thanksgiving. So let's come to the table. Let's come to Jesus Christ to give him thanks and receive the renewed promise that he is coming back to eradicate everything that causes us suffering, grieving, and pain. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Amen.
Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for reminding us of Jesus' humanity this morning. As we reflect on his cry of abandonment on the cross, we ask for a deeper appreciation of his suffering and deeper gratitude for his death and resurrection. We pray in the name of our Savior. Amen.